Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. So, so much that I, along with others, have covered about all the things employers are doing to make their employees happy, to try to attract and keep workers. But there's one area where employees basically, it's like, well, you got a job, just do it. And that's any kind of factory work or what we used to call blue-collar service work. Employers, on the one hand, are saying, we can't find any workers. We can't keep the workers we have. But then at the same time, foolishness, like saying when people can go to the bathroom. These are not first graders working in the factory. These are not first graders working in a warehouse. Treat them with dignity, humanity, and respect. Those are three simple concepts that have not really been respected in the warehouse of the factory floor. But I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal that there are employers who have decided the definition of insanity is not going to be them anymore. Treating your workers terrible time after time and expecting a different result. That's my new definition of insanity. So instead, what does a sane employer do? Treat an employee in a warehouse or a factory or something like that like a human with respect. And guess what happens? People are more likely to stay. It's not all about the hourly rate. Obviously, that matters. But what matters more is that you're treated right as a human. And there are companies that are really thinking this through. Like, it's summertime. Why not come up with a schedule like a manufacturer's done in the Midwest where the employees have in the summer a day off to go to the lake or do whatever? Now, it's not that they're getting an additional vacation day. It's just their work shifts change on other days. They work fewer days, so they have that time in the summer to go enjoy summertime. Because, you know, in the upper Midwest, winter is tough. It's bleak. It's gray. It's cold. It's windy. It's snowy. And what do people crave? They crave being able to have sunshine and outdoors. So you create a work schedule that's unbalanced, that during the summer gives people more of that. And that's exactly what this company in Holland, Michigan has done. And guess what? Their revenue has been growing faster than their competitors because what they've been doing is everything they can to make the environment more positive for the employees, including much more complicated for scheduling a factory, but they have nearly two dozen different work schedules you can do so that it fits your life. Another flex kind of thing for seven-day-a-week factories, 
give people the ability, like so many hospitals have done, where nurses work two or three days on the weekend, and that's it. Because in a two-income family with young children, it's tough to always have a parent around the hours you'd like to have and being involved with the kids. So if one person's working Monday through Friday, the other's working, let's say, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, working long shifts those days, you then have a parent around pretty much all the time. So just think about your own life if you're a manager or an owner of a business. And when something comes up in your life, how do you deal with it? But then in turn, what do you make available for your employees to have that same kind of flexibility or enough so they know they're appreciated, you respect the fact they actually have a life outside of your place of work, and then that turnover you have maybe isn't so much. And the ability to attract new workers may in fact get better as well. Gretchen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gretchen. Hello, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure, Gretchen. And you have a wonderful question for me, don't you? I I think it's wonderful, sure. <laughs> I think it's great. It's really thoughtful on your part. Hit me with what you've been thinking about with a Chromebook. Okay. Well, um, per your great advice, we got the Chromebook, and we've been thinking about for a while how to separate uh, you know, looking at our finances online and, and uh, managing things and keeping things separate where we wouldn't have to worry about anything being hacked. And so in setting that up, of course, the Chromebook asks you for your Google account. And I thought, wait a second, uh, that's already all over <laughs> other social media and everything else I've been doing on the internet for all these years. And I sure don't want to uh, mix that with trying to separate things financially. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. So the suggestion is that you set up a separate Gmail account just for your financial computer. And then you never answer that email or? Right. You just, I mean, it's just there. It just lives as a way for you to have a separate digital identity for your bank account, brokerage account, and bill pay. Okay, so and I'm not I'm not checking that email anywhere. I, I don't know why you would. The only time you'd need to, well, I don't know when you'd ever need to. Right. But this was a suggestion when I, uh, you know, I've talked for years about the advantage of a Chromebook for finance because Chromebooks by their very nature are much less likely ever to suffer a hack. But yeah. then I heard not once but twice from people in the um, uh, what do you call the the people who who look out for hackers? I, the, the internet security people. I heard okay. from two different ones that I was missing one key element, which is this idea that when you set up the separate Chromebook for finance, it should also have a separate Gmail account that is only used for that computer and no other purpose. Gotcha. And so don't give it out anywhere else. Don't use it. Period. Exactly. Okay. And so Perfect. then you've created an even safer, um, isolated environment for your finances by doing it that way. Yeah, because that's the whole idea of 
putting everything on the Chromebook. Right. Okay. Um, can I kind of ask you a part B question to that? Go right ahead. Okay. So um, what we've been used to doing is just everything on our regular computer. And then, um, you know, you have so many bloody passwords that you can't keep track of. So, of course, we have a, a Word document that we store them all on. So now that I've moved them all to a separate um, device for efficiency, I would like to create a separate password document. But I've never used Google Docs before, and I'm not sure how good I feel about putting that on a cloud. Right. So Google Docs, um, a lot of enterprises now use Google Docs instead of uh, the Microsoft professional suite. And mm -hmm. they do it because they feel that it is a secure environment. But I'm not an internet security specialist. So right. I, I feel uncomfortable telling you that you should feel completely at peace using Google Docs. The advantage of you using... Are you using um, Microsoft Word as um, software native to your computer, or are you using it in the cloud? No, it's on the computer. So if you're using it native to your computer, then that's probably a pretty safe environment for you to have your passwords. Not perfect, okay. but there are right. no perfect answers to these things. Right, right. Just the, the safest you can probably figure out. Exactly. And this will be a moving target as criminals come up with new ways to cause a mess for us. We'll have to modify how we handle it as well ourselves. Greg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Greg. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Greg. Well, you are uh, someone who's going from being in debt to debt zero. Tell me what kind of journey you've been on with that. Well, we're working on it. That's for sure. Um, we are probably about a year away, I think, from being at zero dollars with one, just one student loan left. Um, but with that being said, in the meantime, we have worked through some um, open credit card accounts and paid those off to a zero dollar balance. Um, right now, we are using one credit card um, on a fairly regular basis, but paying it off every month. And my question for you is, what do we do with the old accounts that we are not using anymore? Leave them all open because you'll devastate your credit score if you close them. Now, I've heard a couple different things. And I've heard one thing, if you kind of throw the credit card in the stock drawer like, like we have and not use it, there is a chance that that line of credit will be closed. Yeah, the lender, the credit card company or the bank, whoever it's from, will say, hey, you've got too much inactivity. We don't want the risk there. We're going to close your account. So what I've recommended in the past is that twice a year, you pull those out of the sock drawer and use them for very small transactions just so they remain as active status cards and you're much less likely to have the issuer cancel them on you. By the way, there's no difference for your credit if you cancel a card or they cancel a card of yours. The harm is the same either way. Gotcha. So that's okay. why you want to leave them open. 
but if you um, you become so disciplined, it sounds like working off your debt, paying it off, that uh, one additional thing I'd add is just putting on a calendar um, at a birthday or at Christmas or something like that. You just do a tiny transaction on them, like at a fast food restaurant or uh, maybe a tank of gas or whatever, just so that that card stays as active status. Sure, I got you. That's essentially what we're doing with our one open card right now is kind of using it for major events. Here How many there. others do you have? I believe we have four total. Okay, so the other three, you know, just be mindful that you just say one week, twice a year, you put those in your wallet, you go do that one transaction. You only have to do one, pay that bill when it comes in, bam, put it back away, and you've done what you needed to to keep that as an active card. So if you just keep them a little active, you stay out of their crosshairs. Terry joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Terry. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. I'm doing wonderfully. I hope you're doing really well. Oh, yeah. I had a question about a Roth IRA for a, my daughter. She's uh, just turned 18. And, well, I'm uh, so glad that she's going to start saving money as a teenager. How much is she working? Uh, she's doing about 20, 30 hours a week right now. Great. And maybe more in the summer. She just got, she's graduating high school this year. So. so while she's in high school, she's been working 20 or 30 hours a week. Yeah, yeah, just working weekends. You got a really industrious daughter there. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of, they, they've been giving her a lot of hours. They must like her work. So. Wow. So what does she tend to do with her money? Does she spend it or blow it or somewhere in between? <laughs> yeah. Well, she's like most teenagers. She likes clothes and books and you know going to the movies and all that. You know? I don't know if you heard what I said. I was being silly. I said, does she spend it or blow it or somewhere in between? I didn't say, does she save any of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she hasn't saved too much yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's the thing that I want in the vocabulary of your 18-year-old is the idea that you know she doesn't have the expenses in life she's going to have someday. So if she can save some of that money and do a Roth IRA, it'll be really great for her. What's she going to do after high school? We're going to try to get her to stay living here with me for a couple of years and go to a community college here in Mexico. And Perfect. Then we'll see, you know, see how that goes and uh, try to save some money for if she wants to go somewhere else for to get a bachelor degree somewhere. Okay. So in terms of how much money she's going to have to open a Roth IRA, what do you think it'll be? You think it'll be couple of hundred dollars? Do you think it'll be a thousand dollars? What do you think you're going to be able to get her to put aside for this? See, that's kind of what I was wondering if I should give her a couple thousand bucks and let her to get her started. You know, is that okay? Is that legal to do Com- that? Completely legal as long as she has the earnings. My big thing has been that she won't appreciate it unless she's got some money in it too. So I've been a real fan of what I call the mommy-daddy match, where for every dollar she doesn't spend, you'll match with a dollar. So then she's invested 
uh, financially, psychologically, every possible way in savings, if you just put the money in and she's still spending everything that she earns, there's no learning on her part about the idea of saving. With that amount of money, you could do Vanguard, you could do Fidelity, you could do Schwab, any of the big three low-cost providers would work great for her, but whatever amount of money she can put in, I just really believe, based on experience, she's got to be part of putting money in, not just you. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. So... There are a lot of times that you'll hear me give advice on the show that won't ring true to you, or it'll seem like, has Clark lost his mind? Or you'll be mad at me about something I've said. That's why we have at Clark.com, Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, where you can go post where you feel I missed the mark or I need to do a correction. And others can see your posts, they can comment on them. And then weekly, our producer, Krista, goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, you are stinking it up today. I'm going to start out with this one. I wanted to let you know about advice I got as a teacher. I was told to apply to the Federal Student Loan Public Services Forgiveness Program now. Despite being denied because it has been not been 10 years, I would get in the system, so if any politicians ever cancel it, I would be grandfathered in because my name was already in. Please let people know to apply ASAP so they will be grandfathered in. You don't stink. I just wanted to let you know, Shannon. Shannon, thank you. So the student loan forgiveness program is in chaos. The, uh, the feds have both been incompetent with it and also hostile to people who qualify under federal law to have their student loans forgiven for being police officers, firefighters, teachers, other public service workers. And the number of people getting loan forgiveness is a tiny fraction of 1% of those who've made their 10 years of payments. And it's inexcusable about what's going on at the Department of Education fouling this up. So the thing that's really important is don't listen to your loan servicer. Know the rules yourself. Know what you have to do and document that you've made every one of these payments, the 120 payments, that gets you the loan forgiveness. As for going ahead and applying early so that you will already be in the system. My understanding, any proposals to do away with the public uh, service loan forgiveness program are likely not to get through the Congress, but even if they did, they would not apply retroactively. They would only apply for people from a date forward going to school and studying and then later working in a public service field. Many, many, many Clark stinks about this call, but here is one. Dear Swampfoot, a caller asked for recommendations for conveying passwords to family if they passed away unexpectedly. You recommended using a Word document updated twice per year. Clark, is it 1996 all over again? It was an awkward odor eater moment. The caller listened politely to your solutions, but obviously was looking for a better Clark Howard recommendation. I finally gave up and rolled the windows down. 
Excluding work, I have 163 passwords securely tracked with Dashlane Password Manager. It's an overpriced subscription service, but fits the bill for passing along passwords to loved ones when you're incapacitated or on the wrong side of dirt. For example, my wife does not know all my passwords, but she knows our intuitive, complex Dashlane master password. Thanks for all you do. Most days I listen with the windows up, Bruce. And people recommended lots of other passwords. Yeah, and so the password managers, Bruce, great suggestion. Password managers are a great interim solution for us to deal with the password chaos we live with today. And a lot of people love LastPass, a lot of people love Dashlane, and then there are less well-known and recognized password managers that work uh, very well at protecting you while you're living from people hacking into an account, and then provide protection beyond the grave or urn or wherever you're going when you're done. And so I appreciate that suggestion. You're so right. I should have talked about that during that call. Hi, Clark. Thank you for putting out your podcast. I've really been enjoying it. However, you recently mentioned that umbrella policies are only needed if you have significant assets and that your coverage should be proportional to your net worth. The problem with this approach is that it ignores wage garnishment. There are so many people early in their career who have a high income but have not accumulated much wealth. Doctors, lawyers, software developers, etc. They should still have an umbrella insurance policy to protect their income. Stephanie. Stephanie, that is a very wise suggestion. And a wage garnishment is an issue if somebody were to sue you. Generally, if somebody though, has been uh, injured or whatever, and they want to hold you to account, and they go to see a lawyer. A lawyer will usually do a run of assets, and when they see you don't have anything, they're not really that interested in going after you. But you bring up a wise point, and that is that people in high-earning professions are likely people with a bullseye target on their back. And that is a good idea to have that umbrella policy if you are in a profession where your earning level is and likely in the future may even get higher. Hi, Clark. You definitely don't stink and are a huge reason why I max out all my savings account each year and I'm only 25. Kathy called in about moving stuff to Boston. I recently moved from Missouri to Chicago after getting my MBA. We explored all of those options and actually found a pod company. It was by far the cheapest option and so easy to use. We found cheap flights there and did a day rental in Chicago to move it downtown. Highly recommend it as opposed to driving all the stuff. Anna. Anna, it is such a wonderful alternative that there are so many more choices than we used to have when we're moving ourselves and our stuff somewhere else in the country. And the pods where you you pack the pods and then the pod company gets them and then takes them to where you're going, is for many people a wonderful alternative. On your show, a caller asked about an engagement ring for his son and soon-to-be fiancé, and he asked about the lab-created diamonds. Well, as a woman, all I can say is no woman wants a fake diamond ring. If he is going to propose to her, then they either pick out the ring together or he asks her several types of styles of rings diamonds most new brides would be embarrassed to own a fake or used engagement ring i was surprised your female staff did not speak up and say no 
Love your show and listen to the podcast, Luann. Luann, appreciate that. So I do suggest that when it comes to picking out the stone, I know a lot of guys want to surprise their intended. And that surprise is so neat. There's so many wonderful stories about that. But I think it's great to talk about what kind of diamond together because there are so many different shapes and styles, the setting's so different, so that she can guide you on what she wants rather than you surprising her based on what kind of just what cut alone she may prefer. Now, the lab-created diamonds, I should point out, are not fakes. They are chemically identical to a diamond dug out of the dirt. They're just cheaper, and generally the quality of the diamond will be better than your budget could afford with a dug-out-of-the-dirt diamond. Clark constantly uses very clunky phrases like, if you ask him or her, or if he or she decides to. Can Clark please use a more concise phrase, such as, if you ask them or if they decide to? (laughs) Remember, Krista, we had the English teacher who got all over me Mm -hmm. doing they and them instead of him and her? So I guess there's no way to, to... refer to people without somebody feeling like there's either a more economical way to use my words or a more correct way to use my words. And as we know, my ability with grammar is pretty pitiful. Clark, I've learned lots from you since the 90s. I don't think you stink, but maybe you have no experience with used furniture. Just because furniture looks barely worn doesn't mean the adopter won't have to suffer through lice scabies, or even bed bugs. Unless you're buying hard surfaces that will withstand a gallon of bleach before you get it in the house, save your money and buy new. Lisa. I can't believe it. I thought that was going to be Krista. (laughs) I thought it was going to be you doing. Okay, so yes, a number of people have commented to me about that, that you with upholstered furniture in particular, you have no idea what kind of problems might come with it. Uh, I think you were also alluding to uh, wood furniture, and nobody's ever really stated an objection to buying used wood furniture. Uh, if if plagues would descend upon us, we would have a lot in our house because we have a lot of used wood furniture in our home. Is it weird to write a Clark Stinks about a Clark Stinks? You mentioned using a stored value card to register for free trials. But obtaining a stored value card can be an inconvenient and incur fees of its own. There's also another way that's even better. Many credit cards offer the ability to create virtual card numbers associated with the primary account. For example, with my City Double Cash Visa account, I can create a virtual card number limited to $1 that City Double that expires in as little as two months. When I sign up for a free trial, I easily create a $1 virtual card number to submit to the vendor. If I forget to cancel and the vendor tries to charge the card for its first renewal, the transaction fails. I also use this technique for paid subscriptions that I do not want to automatically renew when they end. That is a great idea. Very, very smart. Uh, Kim, you're a longtime user of the one-time use card numbers. Don't I remember? Yeah, this is news to me. I didn't know that I could limit the amount on it or change the expiration date. I wonder if that varies by issuer. Maybe. One-time use cards are such a great anti-fraud device and using it in the way our poster 
does is very clever that would not have occurred to me. The See, we all learn together. That's why we're all part of Team Clark. Clark, you've left two sets of skid marks and one is not on the road. You stated that, stated that the consumer should not worry about the age of the tire when buying it from one of the three big wholesale clubs. Your assumption was the volume of tires to, that the clubs sell. This is a violation of rule number one, buyer beware. I'm a member of two of the three big wholesale clubs and have bought tires at both. I've found that I need to check the manufacturer date on the tire wall prior to purchase. I have found at one of the big wholesale clubs tires that were 16 months old. Typically, they should be no more than four months old. Finally, Clark, keep up the good work. I plan to listen to you from Europe for the next few years. Tommaso. Okay, Tommaso, what language are we going to have to have the show in for you in Europe? I hope you enjoy listening to us. I'll start referring to things in euros and Swiss francs, <laughs> British pounds and whatever else. I hope your experience in Europe is great. I appreciate what you're saying about the tires. It's one of those things where buying at high volume places tends to mean you have less chance of getting a tire that's been sitting on a shelf a long time since manufacture. Your suggestion of checking the manufacture date on the tire before you accept it is uh, very thorough and something most people would not do, but a great idea. I appreciate all your posts. Please, if there's something you feel I've missed the mark on, go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know how I can serve you better. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Johnny joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Johnny. Hey, Clark. Thanks for having me on, man. I really love your show. Thank you very much. So what kind of, uh, are you a public safety officer of some kind? Um, Yeah, I work for the Public Works Department for the county. So our retirement plan we have there is a a 457B. And I've never heard you talk about that on your show um, except for once, I, a couple weeks ago, you told somebody on your podcast not to contribute to it because it was a non-qualified plan. And I didn't know what that was. I always assumed it was same, same thing as the 401k, but just for government employees. I was just curious. No, um, it's, it's kind of a, a unique animal. It's available principally to people who work in local government. And there are, there are some exceptions where it might come outside but it gives you kind of some of the features of what you'd have with a 401k that somebody would have with a traditional employer or a lot of people with nonprofits or school teachers may have something called a 403b but it is a choice that unless there's some kind of 
match? Does the Public Works Department match any of the money in the 457B? No, there's not. I mean, we have a pension um, on top of that, so I just wanted to put my extra money on top of that into the right place. And so I've that been would doing, be a Roth IRA. Because I actually, I should say that it's, I'm using a, the Roth option of the 457. Yeah, I'd still prefer you in your own Roth IRA that you do with one of the low-cost companies. Okay, and why is that? Is that okay, because a lot of times, a lot of times the 457 plans have extremely high management costs to them. Oh, really? And that's something that the disclosures are not great about that. Um, can I ask you, does the 457B happen to be administered by an insurance company? I believe so, yeah. and I tried to call them and ask them what their fees were, and they were kind of, I didn't get a warm, fuzzy feeling like the people I was talking to at Customer No Service knew what I was talking about. Oh, no, they may know what you're talking about. They're just told not to disclose it to you. Because I have no way to tell, because if I look on my statement, you know, it has the administrative fees, which is like 14 bucks a quarter, and the actual, I have it in the Vanguard uh target retirement plan so the the fees for the fund you know are really low i just can't tell really what fees they're charging me at the at the company yeah and see this is the this is the problem with these these things is they're charging this fee but you don't know what other fees are administrative fees are being buried in the plan from with the vanguard funds you're probably paying very low cost, just as if you were to invest in a Roth IRA with Vanguard. But the difference is that would be the end of your expenses. With right. one of these third-party administered plans, the fees that Vanguard charges to manage the money, that's only the beginning. And that's why um, I would say that the first, and I don't know how much you're putting in this plan per year, so I'm going to give you a number, the first 6000 a year you would do, up to that, should go in your own Roth IRA. If you want to save more than that, and that would be a great thing, then you would continue to contribute whatever amount in excess of 6000 would go in the 457B and the Vanguard choices. Well, I listen to your show every day, so I'm pumped and totally stoked for saving money so i'm gonna be saving more than that well then that's great so make sure the first six you're doing is in that vanguard roth in that target retirement fund direct with vanguard you just open that at vanguard.com and then only the excess should be with the employer plan and shame on them that all you wanted to know is what are you actually paying and they're like oh we don't know or we're not going to tell you which is it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.